here. I love how Mike said it. Christ is the head of the church. I'm so glad for that as one of the pastors here at Metro Life Church because we are collectively looking to him, looking to him to inform how it is that we are to, to live this life that we now live in the good of this freedom that Christ has provided for us. And so really so much of this morning has already set up where we are in Romans chapter 16. If you're new here, this is the close of a series that we've been in in the book of Romans. And um, we've just kind of gone section by section, not necessarily verse by verse, but section by section through the book of Romans. And this morning we are ending that series here in Romans chapter 16. And it may seem like there's a lot of random information here. Even, even as we read through it here in just a moment, and pray for me that I get the names right or that I can just move on when I inevitably don't. There's 26 of them here. And it may seem like a lot of random details, but what we believe about Scripture is that nothing has been captured here for us at random. It all is useful for us in terms of training our souls and and renewing our heart and and renewing our mind and transforming the way that we live. And so today, as we approach Scripture, we approach it no differently. We want to ask the question, Lord, what is it that you're speaking to us as your church today? And so with that in mind, can we read Romans chapter 16 together? I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Kintre, that you may welcome her in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all of the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my loved Impenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampladius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphenia and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Perseus, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus. Philagian, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogius, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, Olympus. And all the saints who are with them, greet one another with a holy kiss. I don't know why he couldn't have just said that. Anyway. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is well known to all. 
so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sophistier, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote you this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greet you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we pray to the ever-wise God that Paul was just rejoicing in. We pray to the king who sat down, as Mike reminded us from the book of Hebrews, in communion today. We pray to a living Savior. And we pray this very simply today. Inform us through your Holy Spirit how to live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, it's a tricky passage. Excuse me for just a moment. It's a tricky passage from the standpoint of names, but it's not a particularly tricky passage from the standpoint of what Paul's points are. And I I just want to set the scene for us a little bit in where we've been in the book of Romans up to this point, right? We've been uh, talking about, well, a common theme through this has been that we want MetroLife Church to be an authentic New Testament expression of the church of Jesus Christ. That's actually been the heart of our church since it was planted, since it was started in Danny and Melody's living room some 36 plus years ago now. That's always been the heart of why we exist as a gathering of the redeemed, to be an authentic expression of what it looks like to be the the New Testament church. And, And Romans 16 informs us of that. But it informs us of that kind of based on these building blocks that we've been through up to this point. So in the past weeks, Paul has really been defining what gospel community should look like. Consider a few of the things that we've been talking about. He's he's talked about the love that we should have for one another and, and how that should look genuine in the way that we love one another. And that that's a way that we present ourselves as living sacrifices, those who are using the gifts that we have been given to serve one another. That our lives are marked as different by the way that we love not only one another, but we love those around us. Now, this group would have, uh, would have understood their place in, in society and their relationship to authorities. The church would understand uh, their place in society. They would understand their relationship to the authorities. And Paul says some pretty radical things for the church in Rome in terms of how it is that they're to relate to the authorities. The church there would have lives that would reveal a fulfillment of the law that points those around them to Jesus Christ. The church's posture toward one another would not be one of judgment or putting out stumbling blocks. The church would work to catch one another living right rather than creating new forms of legalism. Christ would be the example for their lives. 
These are the themes of what we've been studying since about Romans chapter 12, that Christ would be the example for their lives, that he would also be the assurance of hope that they have as a gathering, and that they would see their own roles individually as ministers in this gospel, and that they would be urgent in their prayers. I just want to take a moment here to just thank Danny and Danny Jones and Mike Gillen for the last couple of weeks in preaching through Romans chapter 15. I'm so grateful for them, but here's what I'm grateful for, not just their ability to preach, but our ability to look over decades of their life and see them living what they're preaching. I'm grateful to have men and women in this church like that, that we can look to and see they, they've lived this urgency in their prayers. They've lived this ministering out of the gospel. They've lived this not creating new forms of legalism. They've lived this assurance of hope that they have, even in dark moments. Because it's not like life's just gone great for decades. No, they've served a great savior for decades. And he's ministering to them and through them. And so today we'll see, we're gonna catch a glimpse of this community that would have heartfelt love, diversity, clear teaching, strong partnerships, and loudest praises for the work of God. Uh, earlier this week, I was, uh, I was going to brush my teeth, and I grabbed a tube from the counter and suddenly learned what hair mask tastes like. At the same time, I learned that there's such thing as a hair mask. I didn't know this term. I just know that like with my glasses off, the colors on this bottle are the exact same as my toothpaste. Real quick into the brushing process, I realized this doesn't taste right. So what did I do? I spit it out. I spit it out. And I had to get the real thing. And I think as, as those who are called to follow Jesus, when we come into the church, it can be a lot, we're kind of having that test, right? The, our, the palate of our, of our spirit is watching for what's happening. And we can tell if it's real or not, can't we? We can tell if it's something that needs to be kind of like spat out. We can tell if the love that we're experiencing is genuine or not. And God has given us that as a gift to actually not go in the direction that we see some go and that Paul warns about in just a few verses. But I want us to think about this, that every one of us in this gathering today, not just me, but every one of us have a part to play in the authenticity of the expression of this local church. And I want to be careful here because I'm going to use the word authenticity I'm going to use the word vulnerability because I think that those are real things that we should be able to experience in the church. But what is the point of that authenticity? It's to have real conversations that lead to vulnerability. And what's the point of that vulnerability? The point of that vulnerability is to be pointed to Jesus so that we can grow in what? Holiness. My concern today is that there are times that we've traded holiness for authenticity. We've decided to just stay broken. We've decided that that's a part of our authentic life, this brokenness that we live in. I don't see that in Scripture. 
I see Paul, I see Peter, I see James, I see the writers of the Gospels, I see God's hand at work in writing to the Scriptures to us to say that there is something that we are called to as those who have been called out of darkness and into light. So I want us to be an authentic church. I want us to be a place where those can, that, that need to come in can be vulnerable, but I also want us to be pointing to something that's far beyond our ability to accomplish on our own. It's far beyond our ability to see through in and of ourselves because it's only Jesus who is able to make that happen. Holiness. The call to holiness. And so I think there's some things for us to consider today as it relates to the church. Where is it that we've settled for authenticity as a church? This really is in the passage, and I'm going to get there in just a moment, but I want to ask these questions up front because I want the Holy Spirit to be able to just kind of work in us as a church. This is a part of how we, we set the culture of the church. Now, I also believe that First and Second Corinthians, I believe that the book of Acts, they also round out for us what the church as a church culture should look like. I know that the book of Hebrews informs what the church culture should look like in terms of the preaching and teaching and making the connections between the old and new covenants. I think that First and Second Timothy inform what the church should look like in terms of spiritual formation and discipleship. I think that all of these things are wonderful. I know the book of Galatians speaks directly to the church in the context. And Paul is constantly kind of course correcting. But in the midst of that course correcting, what does he do? He helps us understand what church should look like. And what I'm not talking about is when it is that the pastor comes up during the worship set. Or how it is that we do communion. Or how it is that we are supposed to Uh, how it is that we preach God's word. There's certainly things that inform those things, but there's a ton of gray area that even Romans has acknowledged up to this point. Things are going to look different one church to the next. What should look the same is the question we should be asking. What is it that should look the same? What are the, the core things that we should be paying attention to? And I believe that Romans chapter 16 defines some of those core things for us. I don't think that it's the exclusive passage in Scripture that speaks to this, but I think it is one that helps form and shape gospel-centered community. Isn't that what we want to experience? Isn't that the thing that we say it sounds great on Sunday morning, but we want to know what it looks like to live that the rest of the week? It's the thing that we long for when we feel lonely or overwhelmed. It's the thing that we long for when we feel hurt or burdened by the circumstances that we walk through in life. And so church, let me call us to something today. Scripture provides what this should look like for us. And it gives us the basics. Perhaps you've seen some of the changes that have been happening here in the church over the last few years and you're like, I don't see where community group terms are biblical. They're not. That's just functional. You know what's biblical? Community. Being together, having time together. And, and what informs that time together? God's word, his truth informs that time together. Now, how is it that I'm kind of making this jump from this list of names to community? Paul didn't learn these names off of connect cards and off of sign-up forms. Paul learned these names in community and in the trenches of serving together. That's how he knew these names. 
I'm not going to read through every one of them, but can we just acknowledge something? Ministry in the church is not done by professionals, myself included. Ministry in the church is done by everyday people like you and me. Ministry in the church is done by everyday people like you and me. Those who are called children of God. That's who ministry in the church is done by. Like, there is this army of people that Paul is referencing here. We're not given uh, an indication on how large the church in Rome is. I haven't come across any commentaries that necessarily give a specific number for how large the church is. Here's the deal. 26 names are mentioned here. That's an army of people that are helping ministry to move forward in the church in Rome. That's an army of people who are involved in ministry, but they're not basing it on something like ordination. They're basing it on called out of darkness into light. They're basing it on gifts that have been provided by the Holy Spirit to every believer. They're basing it on the mission that they are called to, to go and make disciples that Jesus has given. So this army of names represents something for us to learn from today as a church as it relates to the heartfelt love that they felt for one another and the heartfelt love that kind of compelled them forward. It moved them forward as a people. Their heart as the engine being transformed by the good news of the gospel was driving them forward in heartfelt love for one another. Listen to some of the like familial phrases that are used. She was like a mother to me as well. Like, I love that. Paul had needs that he, he needed to turn to somebody that could kind of mother him in that moment. That's wonderful. It makes me actually think about some phone calls that I had earlier this week. And I had uh, some of the older ladies in the church on a phone call, and they were mothering me. And I loved it. I have a mom. She says the same things to me. How did they mother me? Chris? Don't get away from looking to Jesus. Do you know the right response to that? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I'm 43 years old, and yes, ma'am is the best response to start with every time. All right, good. I'll take that one. Yes, ma'am. Why? I have a sister in the Lord acting like a mom, caring for me. We experience this in the church sometimes. We just overlook it, don't we? We miss those opportunities. He was, she was acting as a mother. They have kinsmen. They have fellow prisoners. You have those that were hosting the church in their own home. We're going to celebrate with some of those here in just a little bit with our community group leaders. You have those who were chosen, who were called out, that we are called to greet one another. You have Phoebe who is referred to as a deacon, a servant in the church. Help her in any way that she has need because she's been a patron to us. Now, what, what, hap what happens when we see this list? Well, we, know, we recognize a few things. There is a diversity here. There's a diversity in race. There's a diversity in class. And there's a diversity in gender. We talked about this earlier. I'm not going to get into necessarily the details of it in terms of what Roman slavery was at the time. It is not the same as what we would refer to as slavery in our own nation's history. So let's just make sure that we've got a right framework that we're thinking that through. But there were many in this church that would have been slaves and there were many that would have been free. 
You have those who are wealthy like Pris, uh, Prisca and Aquila. You have the family that was going out there that was almost this aristocratic family, the, the family of Aristobulus, the family of Narcissus. Those, those are families that are kind of this aristocratic family where some of the members of that family had been converted, but not necessarily the, the heads of household. And so he's kind of saying, greet that family. He's, he's including the whole family name. There are many who believe that Aristobulus may have been the brother of Herod of Agrippa I, that Narcissus may have been the servant of Emperor Claudius. These are, these are families with high positions in the area, but we had those, we had those who were slaves and those who had been freed from their slavery. Notice how many of the people on the list are women. What are they doing in their roles? They're traveling, they're witnessing, they're suffering, they're giving, they're hosting. Here's what Paul kind of brings all of this to as a point. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you do or what you've done, there is a place for you in the house of God. There is a place for you here. There is gifts. There are abilities and talents that God can use for his glory. There is not this posturing of better than. He's been eroding that the entire book of Romans. There's not this posturing that happens that we say one is better than another. They were all involved in very practical ministry. What is it that Paul commends the most? Those who have worked hard or those who were workers. He draws attention to the servants among us. May I do the same right now? Today is Miss Angie Mendez's last Sunday as our children's ministry director. Now the Mendez family is not going anywhere. Thank God. I'm grateful for them. She's in a new season of life to be able to serve her family in some other ways. Some other things that she's been called to in this season of life. And today is not about drawing attention to the details that we're still working through about what TruthQuest is going to look like in the future. That's for another time. No, today is to celebrate one who has served us heroically for years. I think it's been over four years that she's been serving in that role. I just love that. I love her heart for the children in our church. But I think that there's a couple of questions that we should consider here as we read a list of names like this. Not just how do you say it. Would I be counted among them? Would I be counted among them? If Paul were writing to the church at MetroLife Church, would your name be included in this list? I don't say that in a way to like browbeat you or kind of make you feel guilty about anything. I do want to call us up to something though. Like wake up or shake loose from just being stagnant in the gifts and the abilities that God has given you. He has a purpose for them in his church. He has a purpose for them in his church. So are you busy with life, or are you busy using your gifts and doing ministry in the local church? What is it that occupies your mind and your heart and your time the most? Would your name be counted among them? 
Let's look on, starting at verse 17 in Romans chapter 16. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You know, I think this is one of the ways that we can be the most countercultural as a church. To be wise to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. It's okay for us not to know what's trending as a church. It's okay for us not to be up to date on the latest news, and I don't mean in an unhealthy way, but it's okay for us not to know the latest and greatest division in our country. It's okay for us as a church to give more time to studying the truth of God's word than the theories that can abound. It's okay for us to turn the television off, to stop binging or streaming. It's okay for us to be in the word of God, to trade ashes for beauty. So we don't just sing about it. We're supposed to live in the good of it. That's what God calls us to. As a matter of fact, he's saying to those who teach that we should, call, we should avoid those types of teachers or people who cause division. Perhaps you have that friend that you just know, like, I think contrarian is a spiritual gift. I don't think it's the spirit of the Lord. But perhaps you know that person that like you hid them on Facebook a long time ago because you like them, you just don't want to hear from them. That's a version of avoidance. But I think what Paul's actual point is here is don't be trained and instructed by them. What is it that should train and instruct us? God's word. He starts off by saying, avoid people who cause division. What does he say in Romans chapter 16? I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions. What else do they do? They create obstacles. Now, we saw this a few weeks ago. Don't create obstacles for people. Don't create this spiritual sense of CrossFit for people to either have to be this tall or be able to clear this obstacle in order to be in your spiritual circle. At the same time, if they're in your spiritual circle and they're creating those types of divisions, avoid them. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. This is Paul calling us up to something. He's calling us to, to live in the life, in the maturity spiritually that God has created us for. We have the ability to know him. We have his word to guide our thoughts and our actions. We have truth in our hand, in our pocket, on our phones oftentimes. 
let's live like it. What else does he tell us to do? In verse 19, he tells us to stay away from evil. It says this, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you all. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. I think there is something precious about innocence. I think it's to be celebrated, not mocked. It's to be celebrated, not mocked. You can't go back. You can't go back to when before you were innocent. Or you can't go back to innocence once you've given yourself over to certain things in your mind, in your heart, in your actions. So be wise as to what is good. Be innocent as to what is evil. What does this mean? Paul is instructing us how to draw boundaries in our lives. He wants us to stay away from evil and draw a clear line where we won't pass. What else does he tell us to do? He wants us to focus on the coming victory. So we're going to avoid those who cause division. We're going to stay away from evil. We're going to focus on the coming victory. Romans 16, 20, the first part of it says this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Just think about Genesis 3.15 where it says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. What is Paul instructing us to do here? Know the Genesis account? No. We are going to study that in just a few weeks in, in the book of Genesis. It's the third most quoted book of the Bible in the New Testament, in addition to Psalms and Isaiah. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's a victory that is promised at the original fall. Paul is telling us to focus on the coming victory and live today in light of that. Isn't that encouraging? We get to live today in a victory that we haven't fully experienced yet. We get to live like we've already won. In sports, this is called the mercy rule. In life, this is called the mercy of God. That we receive, that we deserve judgment and yet we receive what? Victory in Jesus Christ. He wants us to focus on our coming victory and lastly for this section, he wants us to walk in grace. Walk in the undeserved, unmerited favor of God. Where do we see that? At the end of Romans 16 verse 20 where he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What else do we see here? We see a partnership in the gospel. Verse 21 says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and so that guy and, and my kinsman, Tertius, who I who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. There's partnership that's happening here. Most of these names were not there in Rome, would never get through to Rome. Most of these names were in other churches. 
We see this interconnected network of churches, and this is why, as, as a part of Grace Partnership, we say that we are stronger together. We say that we're stronger together. This is where we get that type of model for us in Scripture. This church doesn't have to have every gift possible in it to experience the good of gifts that God gives this church. But I am going to ask you, if you have a gift that God has given you and you're not using it in the church, that's wrong. Would you consider stepping up and using that gift? Because while we don't have to have every gift present, we should be making use of every gift that God has given to the church so that we can live for the good of his glory. Partnership matters. Being interconnected in the church matters. There's a reason in just a moment we're going to have our community group leaders come forward and stand up here on stage and and Eric is going to pray for them because we want you to see the people who it is that are are opening their homes. We want you to know the faces of people so it's not just this list of names on a website. There are real people that you sit around and you may realize, I don't want to go to that guy's community group. He doesn't sing well. (laughs) I don't know any of them like that other than Shane. You, you may have to make those types of what I call value-added decisions. I'm just joking, Shane. You, you make a joyful noise. No, you, you, may, you may not even realize who some of our community group leaders are. But that partnership matters. That, that being networked together matters. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have an event where our serving teams and some of our ministry teams are going to be out in the lobby. We're doing it for the same reason. Perhaps you've never met some of the people that that really do carry the weight of what happens here in the church. And this is just an opportunity for us to live out what we believe Paul is modeling for us here. To see the people who are a part so that you can be a part as well. It's not because we just need more servants. It's not just because we have these visions of grandeur in our head that we're not quite making because we don't have enough people to do it. It's because we want you to experience the blessing of partnering with people in the gospel. We want you to experience the blessing of using the gifts that God has given you. What else do we see here? Finally, at the end of the chapter, we see praise for God's work. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God. Be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This closing doxology or or song of praise recalls almost all of the main themes that we've seen throughout the book of Romans. It brings all of them together in just this beautiful way. And it funnels it all down into, into something that I think we should take note of. Praising God. That's the point of what Romans brings us to, is praising God. 
Yes, there are a lot of very technical and theological things that Paul gets into. There is an understanding that we should come to about the covenants that God has been bringing out and unfolding his mercy throughout the ages through the covenants that he makes with the forefathers in our faith. Those are beautiful things, but if at the end of the day all we've done is debate to the point of further division and we're not praising God together, we've missed the point of Romans. I think theological discussions are wonderful, but if they don't end in praise, they've missed the point. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I want us to have theological discussions. I want us to have robust understanding of the Scripture, but here's the point of all of it, praising Jesus. Acknowledging His finished work on our behalf. Rejoicing in the work of our Savior. Now, Paul kind of uses a phrase here that I thought was interesting. He says, his gospel. What he's not talking about there is his own message or some way that he's twisted or distorted things in a way that says, like, I've added a little something to this. Like, it was lacking some seasonings, you know, so I sprinkled some in there, and you'll be good now. No, what he's talking about is separating himself from the teachers that are drawing people to themselves with their slick words, causing divisions and hurdles for people. Listen to the message that I'm speaking. There's freedom in that. Why? Because it points to Jesus and not to Paul. That's the message that we should be proclaiming. Pointing to Jesus and not to Chris or to insert your name here. The gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. The one who revealed himself to Paul. That took ownership of Paul. And he's not ashamed of, as we saw back in Romans chapter 1, that he is now proclaiming. But here's the thing I get concerned about at times. When we talk about the gospel, this good news for those who are sinners, anytime we use words or phrases like that a lot in the church, I get concerned that we start to change the meaning of it. So today, let's just make sure we're all on the same page as to what we're talking about in quote-unquote, the gospel. It is the good news for sinners. It's a message about the perfect person and finished work of Jesus Christ. Romans has been pointing to this all, all along. Romans, Romans 3, 23 reminds us that all have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. Romans 1.18 and 2.5 help us understand that on account of our sin, none of us deserves God's favor, but only God's wrath forever. Romans 8.3 and 3.25 bring a sweet relief to the weary soul by telling us that God sent his son Jesus Christ to live a perfect life and die on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Romans chapter 10, 13 assures us that to receive this salvation, having recognized our need for a Savior, one must repent of their sins and place their trust fully in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of those sins. That's what Romans has been leading up to this whole point. Nothing about Paul's message, all a message of Jesus Christ and his work. And there's a number of ways to apply this gospel to our lives as well. It is good news for sinners as individuals to be able to draw near to God. It is the common thread that gathers those individuals into the church. I, I often refer to this as a gathering of the redeemed, just like we are today. 
And it is the compelling force behind our call to go and make disciples. Why do I say that? Because I think at times when we talk about the gospel, we talk about it in one of those categories or another, the individual or for the church or for the mission. And this is what I really love about the way that our community groups are formed. They're about all of those things. We as a church are about all of those things. Locally, globally, the mission that we're called to, in the gatherings that we're in, sound doctrine, sound teaching about our faith, fundamental things about our faith that we would understand and apply them rightly to our lives and to our heart. For the individual to understand rescue that they need from sin that they cannot escape on their own. A savior who alone can transform them. And what does all of that lead to? It leads to strength for the believer. It leads to being established, as some of your translations may say, at the beginning of Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Some of your translations may say, now to him who is able to establish you. Most say, according to him who is able to strengthen you. What is this? This is a sure foundation for us to build our lives on. He is one who is holy and sure that we can build as a foundation of our lives. This isn't about bringing all these random truths together in this giant thought bubble of a chaotic life that we're trying to live in a way that just grabs from this truth or that truth or whatever else. This is something that says this is foundational to the faith that we are called to. This is foundational to the faith that will lead us to heaven. It's foundational for the life that brings God glory. What does he do through these things? In our individual ability to draw near, in the common thread gathering us together as a a church, in the compelling force behind our mission to go, it provides strength that the gospel alone can provide in our lives. Not just to withstand the messages that the world tries to just bring into our home, into our minds, into our hearts. But to be able to stand sure when it feels like everything around us is falling apart. That loss of a loved one, that chaos, the the rumors of war on the news, mask mandates, There's gospel strength for us in the midst of that that actually brings us together in a unifying way rather than scattering us in disunity. That unity actually brings God glory we see in the book of Ephesians. That gospel strength and that gospel unity brings God glory. I don't say mask mandates because I want to get political in the pulpit. I say it because some of us, that's become a dividing point. Let's call it what it is, a scheme of the enemy. And let's not give in to his schemes in our lives. God strengthens us for his glory and he strengthens us through the gospel. How does this happen? What are the tools that God's given us to strengthen us in the gospel? But we have friendships and relationships that are a means of grace. We have community groups, as I've been talking about a bit. There's ways that we can serve and utilize the gifts and the talents and abilities that God has given us. And we're going to see more about that in the weeks ahead. 
Maybe for us as individuals, we can consider things like the spiritual disciplines. As we talked about last week, prayer, urgent prayer. I was encouraged today seeing so many more faces in our corporate gathering for prayer time before the service. Prayer. How about reading the Bible? Can I just get stupidly simple for a second? If you're struggling and not reading scripture, it's entirely probable that you're not utilizing the gifts of grace that God has put right in front of you. This week I came across a stat that if you read your Bible four or more times per week, just listen to some of these. This may not be your particular temptation, but understand what a gift and what a tool for righteousness God's word is. If you read your Bible four or more times per week, you are 74% less likely to struggle with gambling. You are 61% less likely to view pornography. You are 57% less likely to struggle with substance abuse. You are 40% less likely to struggle with bitterness. You are 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. Those are common struggles that we'll hear from individuals in the church. So we're going to introduce a new basic question. What are you reading? And if a news outlet is your go-to more than God's word to know how to not struggle, you might be looking in the wrong place. What about what we're called to as believers? Where does this... Where does this give us kind of that compelling force that I was just talking about for mission? If you read your Bible four times a week, you are 228% more likely to share your faith with others. You are 407% more likely to memorize Scripture. Can I just speak to something plainly for just a moment? I think I've asked that several times. How about I just do it from now on? Okay. I will hear at different times that I don't know how to share my faith. And I'll be honest with you, I feel that. Because I think that every time that we go to share our faith, it's a different way that we can share the same truth. Because it's a different individual that we might be sharing with. It's a different circumstance that we might be speaking into. I'm not saying that there aren't ways that we can learn certain kind of like formulaic ways to think about the gospel. But people aren't saved through a formula. They're saved through a relationship with a Savior who's there for them. And if you're one of those people who says, I don't feel equipped to share my faith, 228% more likely to share your faith if you're reading Scripture four times a week. Four times a week. There's value in those four times in God's Word. What does it do? It equips you to live the life that He's called you to. You have God's Word. You have his Holy Spirit leading and guiding you. Why don't we trust those things more than our ability to be, quote unquote, equipped for the work? And then let's get to it. Let's not overlook the simple and obvious tools that God has given us for this life to live for him. How about this one? Church attendance. Now, we don't keep record on Sundays of who is or is not here. But can I challenge us as a church in our attendance? Be here. 
You may think that this sounds selfish, and that is not my heart. But allow me to speak from my heart for just a moment. It is difficult to know where people are these days already. It's very difficult when we don't see you on Sundays. I love you. I'm for you. If God is calling you elsewhere, please go. I I will not be hurt by that. I don't take that personally. I love having those conversations with people that are kind of exit interviews, so to speak. We learn and grow from that. But if you're sitting at home watching the live stream because it's easier and more comfortable, please come back. It's time to be with the church. It's a way that God strengthens us for life and godliness. It's a way that we receive the grace of God. And here's where I just want to be honest. It's because my hope is what you hear is not Chris or Danny or Mike or Mike or insert name here. My hope is who you hear from on Sundays is God himself. Why would I say that? Because there have been times that people have said, I remember you saying one time, X, Y, or Z, and do you know who doesn't remember saying that? Me. (laughs) There are these moments in between that that I believe that God gives us an ability to speak into someone's life. And that's sobering and that's humbling for me as an individual. That's sobering and humbling for anyone who leads in this church. But those moments happen when we're together. Don't neglect gathering together as is the habit of some what else happens on Sundays serving singing praying the exercise of gifts the preaching of the word ministry one to another church attendance matters for being strengthened in the gospel and I'm going to leave it there I'm going to leave it there what else does God do God strengthens us through the gospel for this purpose, for life and faith. He strengthens us for life and faith. Romans 16, 26 says this, but it has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. And you may be sitting here thinking, aha, Paul's sneaking in some legalism. I knew it. I knew my works mattered. No, Paul's not sneaking in legalism. For those who have received the gift of faith, we now have the opportunity to live out of the good of that gift. Paul calls us because God calls us to live and look differently because of the faith that we've received. Do we live out of the obedience of faith? Paul actually has bookended this phrase in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter one, verse five, at the beginning of it, it says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about what? The obedience of faith. It means obedience that flows out of a life that has received the gift of faith. And I know this to be your heart, church. I know this to be your heart that you want to live a fruitful life. But here's the truth obedience will only flow from 
faith. Going from authentic to vulnerable to holy will not happen because of your right works. It will only happen as we receive and are established and strengthened in the faith that God provides. And the obedience that flows from that is a part of the way that we display the glory of God through our lives, both individually, here in this gathering, and in the mission that we're called to, in the schools and campuses, in the homes, and in the workplaces. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, you're on mission, and it's being strengthened by this faith, this obedience of faith. As we learn to trust in the Lord, as we learn to enjoy our status as children of God, obedience will flow from that. Living a life that brings Him glory. Living a fruitful life. That's what flows from that. So church, let's be marked by the strength that the gospel provides for us. Let's be marked by sound teaching in our church. Let's be marked by healthy, robust partnership with, within this church and with other churches as well. Last Sunday, it was such a gift to be able to be over with the church in Titusville, not just because the cooking was good, but it was because we got to see the faces that Christian and Megan are going to minister to. So my heart breaks over their leaving. My faith is strengthened knowing that they're going on purpose. Partnership matters. And a loving heart, a loving heart and disposition toward other people matters in the way that we live as well. Because it's what will help them know the genuineness, the authenticity, the validity of our faith. Church, God has a rich plan for us. He has a rich plan for you as a part of this mission. Are you serving in the way that he's called you to? Are you living in the good of this obedience of faith?